Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through, and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. Well, hello there, Dr. Nicole here. I am thrilled to share something incredible with you today. Imagine having a treasure trove of informative, entertaining, and empowering video content about the journey to parenthood right at your fingertips. That's exactly what you get with Informed Pregnancy Plus. For less than 25 cents a day, you'll gain access to a vast subscription library filled with documentary films, web series, mind and body fitness programs, workshops, and courses covering fertility to parenting and everything in between. A few of my favorite titles are The Business of Being Born, Empowered Mama, Belly Dance for Birth, Ease into Sleep, The Afterbirth Plan, and The Core Connection. And here's the best part. For a limited time, you can gain full access absolutely free. Just visit informedpregnancy.tv to sign up. Get Informed Pregnancy Plus right now for your informed and empowered parenting journey, all from the comfort of your home. Visit informedpregnancy.tv. Again, that's informedpregnancy.tv. It's another birth story episode, and this one is packed. You have got to hear this one. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Well, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 102. Thank you for being here with me today. It's another birth story episode today, and this one is a lot. And by a lot, I mean that Kelsey experienced quite a range of different things during her pregnancies and birth. Kelsey lives in Washington State, about two hours east of Seattle with her husband, Randy, and her six-month-old daughter, Arden. She works for a nonprofit that helps low-income students with college and career preparation, and her husband is a safety manager for a construction company. 
They have a small hobby farm with cows, chickens, pigs, and honeybees. They enjoy camping, going to breweries, and spending time outdoors. Kelsey joins us to talk about the stress around her first pregnancy. It was a very wanted pregnancy that they ended because of a fatal genetic condition. She talks about how she got pregnant again pretty quickly after that and what that experience was like, including having trouble bonding with that pregnancy. She talks about what it was like to be pregnant during COVID, how she had a lovely birth with Arden, but experienced postpartum bleeding from a retained placenta, and then how she had trouble breastfeeding from a rare condition called DEMER. I had never heard of this before, dysmorphic milk ejection reflex. So I learned something new for sure. And then even how she had to evacuate with her family because of wildfires when her daughter was two months old. So as you can see, Kelsey has been through a lot, but you will also see how she managed everything with so much strength and grace. I was really inspired by her story and I know that you are going to be inspired by her story as well. Now, one of the things that Kelsey shares is how she was super prepared for things during her pregnancy, and I cannot agree more about the importance of being prepared. And of course, an important part of that is good childbirth education. The birth preparation course is my online childbirth education class that ensures you are calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful birth. The updated version is finally, finally being released this month. Life made it so that I'm releasing it later than I wanted to, but this month is definitely the month. And when you enroll, you get lifetime access to the course, including access to any upgrades. So if you're thinking about it, jump on it now, check out all the details, drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. Also follow me on Instagram at drnicolerankins to be the first to know the exact date this month when it is released. All right, let's get into the amazing birth story with Kelsey. Thank you so much, Kelsey, for agreeing to come onto the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. You have a really interesting story. Like, I mean, you've just, you've experienced a lot. So I'm just grateful that you're coming on to share your story. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I've been a huge fan of yours. Listen to all the podcasts. So I'm very excited to be here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself and your family? Sure. So my name's Kelsey. I'm 29 years old. I live in Washington State, um, about two and a half hours east of Seattle. I work for a nonprofit that helps uh, low-income students with their college and career paths. So I work in high schools in the area. Um, I'm married to my husband, Randy. We've been married for about two years now. Um, He's a safety manager for a construction company. We stay very, very busy on our little farm. We have uh, five cows, three in which are pregnant right now. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) So it will be a really fun year. We're new to this, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, we um, we have two dogs. We have a little farm going on, a garden, um, and then our newest addition, Arden, our daughter, is six and a half months uh, old. I love it, and I love that name. Thank you. It's unique without being too hard to spell or anything. That's yes. why we chose it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we're gonna talk about Arden's birth, but we have to start 
and talk a little bit about your first pregnancy because that certainly informed how your pregnancy went with Arden. So um, you actually ended up ending your first pregnancy at 15 weeks because you discovered that the baby had some severe chromosome problems. So what was that like for you? It was very, very surprising. So um, we started trying for our first baby around uh, March, April of 2018, we got pregnant instantly. So that was a huge surprise. Um, didn't really have any complications at the beginning of that pregnancy, a little bit of bleeding, um, but that sounded normal in an early pregnancy. I didn't have my first ultrasound until 10 weeks. So we had a little bit of a wait between, but I had some uh, morning sickness and some bleeding. And I just thought this is normal. This is great. So we, um, did all of our planning. We picked out names and started the nursery and told all of our family and friends. We were so excited. And then we got to our first ultrasound um, at 10 weeks and they were a little reluctant about telling us the results of that ultrasound. They said, you know, for the most part, everything looks fine, but we are seeing some fluid buildup um, behind the neck. Mm. So we want you to come back uh, for the, I don't even know how to say it, the NIP uh-huh. and I um, at 14 weeks. So, um, but they said, you know, this is normal. This can happen. It's no big deal. We'll see how those results come back. So don't worry about it too much. Um, But of course I was worrying. Um, I had a horrible gut feeling that, you know, this wasn't going to uh, end up well for us, but we tried to stay optimistic. Um, We ended up taking announcement photos to uh, announce on social media and everything. We wanted to announce on Father's Day, which was between that wait period. And I just had a sinking feeling that we shouldn't do it. Mm. Um, So we decided not to announce. um, But again, most of our family and friends knew. And uh, we just had the longest wait of our lives for those four weeks, waiting for that next ultrasound. Um, So when that uh, ultrasound came up, my husband actually had to work out of town. So I went to the ultrasound on my own. And uh, it started out really normal. I went in, spoke to the ultrasound tech, talked about our weekend and whatever else. And then all of a sudden she went completely silent. And um, I tried to hold a conversation with her and she stopped the ultrasound and said, I have to go get your doctor. And I knew at that point, obviously something was wrong. I couldn't tell. I didn't know what I was looking at um, on the screen, but her demeanor definitely let me know that um, my gut feeling was correct and something was definitely not what it was supposed to be for that, um, that pregnancy. And so the doctor came in and my doctor was out of town. So I actually hadn't met my OB at this point yet. I had um, a different OB that came in and speak to me um, and they just let me know, you know, there's a, uh, a significant fluid buildup behind the neck. Um, in the first ultrasound, we, we weren't really sure it could have resolved itself, but it's getting much worse. It's called a cystic hygroma mm-hmm. is what they explained to me. Um, and there's a very, very good chance this pregnancy will not um, make to term. And so I kind of just disconnected at that point. I was again by myself. My husband was out of town for work. So I processed that 
on my own. Um, and they decided to send me to um, University of Washington Maternal Fetal Medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a clinic in the city that I live, so that was convenient. And they wanted me to go the next morning. So I knew it was pretty severe if they scheduled that so quickly, especially after waiting all this time for these ultrasounds. Right. Um, so... I, my husband again was out of town. So I called my mom and who lives four and a half hours from me and let her know what was going on. And she dropped everything and drove uh, to my house to stay with me for the night. And she came with me to that first appointment with um, maternal fetal medicine. Oh gosh, that's a lot. Yes, it was very, very stressful. I think in that moment, I just, I disconnected so hard to that pregnancy and just thought, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe it. I felt like I was living in someone else's body during that process. Right, right, right. So you, you made the difficult decision that you were going to end this very challenging pregnancy. Yeah. So my husband and I spoke about it and we actually spoke about this before I even got pregnant, what we would do with genetic testing and, um, what happens if the baby has Down syndrome or, you know, any of those variables. Oh, that's interesting. Cause a lot of people don't talk about that ahead of time. So I am a notorious planner. So I wanted to plan <laughs> out every single thing that could happen. Right, right, right. <laughs> so we, we did already speak about it and, um, you know, we thought, okay, well, let's just go with the flow. Neither of us have any type of history of any of this. Sure. So we, we didn't think it would come up at all. Um, so yeah, so when I first found out that something was going on, they weren't sure what the diagnosis was. They mm-hmm. threw out, um, they threw out Down syndrome, but they said it looked much more severe than Down syndrome. They threw out, uh, trisomy, trisomy 13, mm-hmm. Turner syndrome, um, and I think a couple others too. And they said, it's probably one of these based on the severity, but we're not sure which one, um, and none of those are compatible with life. So we did speak about it and said, if that's what they're saying, you know, we have to make that tough decision. We didn't want to make that decision. We never thought we would have to make that decision. Um, but we did speak about that um, before going into my maternal fetal medicine appointment, just so we we kind of were on the same page. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then did you get any type of genetic, did you get amniocentesis or anything? Or were they like pretty cert, or were you comfortable with like this is I I understand what they're saying that this is not compatible with with life and you were comfortable with that yeah so once we did um another ultrasound I did another one um at the specialist and that was much more in depth they they pretty much reassured that there's there's no way that this pregnancy will make it to term it's extremely dangerous if you try to make it to term they were pretty certain that the cystic hygroma would burst Mm. Uh, and so they were very, very nervous about um, just leaving it. They gotcha. considered, you know, if you are choosing not to terminate, we want to send you to uh, University of Washington in Seattle to be monitored. And, you know, we are very, very concerned about you just walking around having this going on. Um, so it was pretty easy at that point to make that decision. Gotcha. Gotcha. Expecting parents who are looking for great nursery decor, this message is for you. As you prepare for the beautiful journey ahead, let Home Threads be your partner in creating a serene nest for your growing family. At HomeThreads.com, explore a collection designed for comfort and style during this special time. 
From cozy nursery essentials to soothing rocking chairs, Home Threads has everything to create the perfect home for your little one and always at the best value. If you like unique items, then you definitely need to check out Home Threads. We got a silver picture frame from Home Threads that is absolutely beautiful. It's one of those timeless classic items that will last for years to come and it fits in any space in your home. Be sure to visit homethreads.com forward slash Dr. Nicole today and receive a code for 15% off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. And then, so within, so then was it within the span of a week or how many days from when you first found out to when you had the procedure? So I had my appointment, my original NIPT ultrasound on, uh, I think it was a Tuesday and I had my maternal fetal medicine appointment on a Wednesday. And then at that appointment, um, they pretty much scheduled the DNE uh, for the next morning. So it was within three days that we went from not knowing anything to having the procedure. My mouth is legitimately wide open. Like <laughs> that is, that is so crazy fast. Mm-hmm. And then on one hand, it's like, I'm not saying in a, in a bad way, like you kind of want to move things along, but I can only imagine like the mental, like what that felt. I mean, it, like, on, like on one hand, it's like you're getting resolution, but on the other hand, you're getting resolution, you know, like, exactly. <laughs> like oh my goodness. <laughs> so was the procedure itself uncomplicated and the physical recovery? Okay. Very uncomplicated. Um, so I went in, my husband came home, thank goodness. So he yes. came home, my mom left. Um, we had the procedure at, I think it was eight in the morning, first thing in the morning. Um, physically it was easy it was probably 40 minutes um check in check out um but mentally it was it was really really tough um I when I walked into the to the OR to check in I couldn't even let her know who I was I couldn't speak I was just so distraught and upset and just couldn't believe what was happening so it was very, very tough mentally. Sure, sure, sure. And then were you offered any resources from within the healthcare system to like help with the mental piece of that? Not really. So um, (laughs) they gave me a a little bit of paperwork about a support group, I think. Um, And that was about it. And I didn't pursue it. I just kind of went along um, with my recovery. The recovery was really quick. And then I think I had an appointment the next week with my OB um, to just check and make sure everything was healing okay. And she recommended that I would see a a therapist, but I I never did at that point. I just was like, I can handle this. I can cope by myself. Um, And uh, that turned out to not be the case later on. But in the moment, I, I think I was just so struck by everything that happened. I just, I couldn't even process it. Sure, sure, sure. And then you had to tell everyone about or tell people something about what happened. Yeah. So a lot of people knew at that point, um, we just told them we had a loss. We didn't go into details. I was embarrassed, ashamed, guilty. Um, I didn't want to explain it to people. I just, it was a lot easier to just say a loss. Um, so I, I, we told a few people and then I think it trickled out because people stopped asking, but it was really tough to have all those people know and um, not really want to go into details about 
what we had gone through. Sure, sure, sure. So how soon after that did you get pregnant? Quick. <laughs> so after the DNA, I actually didn't have a cycle again afterward. Um, my OB said, that's normal. It can take a few months. Um, this was in June, late June. Uh-huh. That all happened of 2019. Um, and by... September, I got pregnant again. So there was a few months in between. I didn't have a cycle in between there. And back to me being a planner beforehand, I planned out all my cycles. I knew exactly when I was ovulating. I like tracked that stuff like crazy. And I didn't at this point. I really, um, I didn't really want to know. I, uh, I just kind of thought, okay, let's just let things figure themselves out. It obviously wasn't the right time. So let's see what happens. Um, And then in late September, I was at a work event and I started getting really bad cramping on one side. And I don't get cramping ever. I don't get cramping with um, my periods or anything. So I knew something was going on. And I had only had this cramping one time before and it was um, implantation cramping for my first pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So I knew and I just was at that event like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. I know I am. Um, I ran to the bathroom to see if I was bleeding and I wasn't, but I, I just knew something was going on. Um, so I ran home and took a pregnancy test and I didn't, I wasn't pregnant. It was negative at that point. Um, but I think I took one the next morning and I had the faintest little line on, uh, the stick and I was like, Oh, I have felt no excitement, no joy. I felt terrified. Mm. Um, so I, I have a lot of guilt now because of that. Oh, I mean, it was a lot like, I mean, that's, I feel like that's a completely natural response because you, the first time was so crazy. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm guessing were you just thinking like, is, is the same thing going to happen again? Exactly. That's exactly what I, I just could not go through that process again. And, um, I remember it was in the morning I took the test and I just threw the stick down to my husband and just said here. And he was like, Oh, this is great. This is exciting. And you know, I made this big elaborate announcement to him the first time. And this time I was like, I know I, here you go. I don't know what's going to happen this time. <laughs> I'm trying not to, I mean, in hindsight it's like, but I can totally like, I can empathize with that 100%. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I just I I'm sure I had a glimmer of excitement, but I mostly felt just anxiety about what was about to happen, and I just couldn't imagine going through this again, especially making it to the safety zone. You know, I was in the second trimester, and I mm-hmm. thought that's when everything got better and um, everything was good to go. And so I just thought I cannot go through this for another three months again, where I just you know, hope for this exciting pregnancy and then get disappointed. So gotcha. um, I was very, very guarded and I didn't tell anybody. And I just um, thought, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm not going to get excited like the first time. So I feel like the first time definitely hindered my um, experience. Um, It took a lot of the joy away from what I think a lot of other women get. So Mm -hmm. that's been really tough for me too. I can understand that. Then was there ever a point during your prenatal care when you felt like when you felt better, like when the anxiety let up at all? Yes. So they took care of me um, from the beginning with the second pregnancy. I went in very early and I did the blood work. I had early ultrasounds. um, So I definitely had a lot of reassurance this time. I think they were also a little nervous because I got pregnant so quick afterward and they um, 
didn't know if this would happen again. It ended up being um, Turner syndrome for the okay. first pregnancy. So uh, pretty rare. There was no family history of it. It was a girl um, because that only occurs in females. Mm-hmm. Um, so they thought, you know, this is a fluke, but we're going to watch you from now on just to see if this happens again. Um, so I did have a few ultrasounds early on. Everything looked good. Um, and I think it was about the 14th week again is when I did the genetic testing and the blood work and, or the blood work genetic testing and the ultrasounds and everything was coming up perfect. And that's when we realized, okay, this is good. We are, you know, getting closer and closer and everything's looking great. So I was still going to um, the maternal fetal medicine specialist at this point. And that's when they said, you know, you really don't need to come here anymore. Everything's looking good. We can end your referral. And I was like, no, no, I want to go to you the whole time. I want (laughs) ultrasounds and I just want to know that everything's good. Um, And so they did let me do my 20 week anatomy scan. There's well and then they said that I was done so I did go to a specialist until 20 weeks okay 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 so do you ever feel like you were able to bond with the baby eventually during the pregnancy later on yes definitely um I was just so nervous at Mm -hmm. the beginning um Mm -hmm. and I just I jumped into things so quickly I think in that first pregnancy that it really took me a long time in the second pregnancy to come around to choosing names and um, planning ahead. Like I just, I didn't want to jinx anything. I sure. guess if that makes sense. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, we didn't tell anybody, um, until 18 weeks is when we announced. So we waited quite a while. Um, and that's when we announced our family and everybody all at the same time. Um, so I think at that point it got a little bit more real that, you know, this is actually happening and everything's good and, um, people are here to support you. I just, you know, they were the first time too, but I just didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to go into anything else with it. So, um, it took some time, but by, by that second trimester or first trimester being done going into the second, I did feel a lot better. She started kicking around 18 weeks. So that was really reassuring. Um, and then, yeah, I, I had a pretty good pregnancy after that point. Okay. And no problems with your pregnancy or anything like that? No, I had a placenta previa at 20 weeks. So my placenta was covering my cervix at the beginning. Mm -hmm. They weren't too concerned about it. Um, it, if anything, it kind of helped because I got more ultrasounds later on, um, especially with COVID <laughs> because I uh, gave birth during the COVID area. I did have more appointments because of the placenta previa. So it ended up being a little bit of a blessing in disguise. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's go ahead and talk about how things <laughs> changed because of COVID. How did your prenatal care change? How did, did, did things suddenly like, oh my goodness, what in the world is going on? It's a pandemic. It was crazy. So I was about 28 weeks when COVID started um, coming around and becoming an issue. Um, So my appointments did change dramatically. I was going in, obviously, and then they started doing car visits. I don't know um, if a lot of other women did car visits, but I did quite a few car visits where they come out to your car and they do the fetal Doppler and they check your blood pressure and then your doctor just calls you on the phone. Interesting. So I did a few of those. (laughs) 
Um, and then I still did have my ultrasounds about once a month to check on the Previa. So I did go in every once in a while, but of course my husband couldn't come with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went alone um, to those and they were very quick and you had to stay in one room. And um, so it did change quite a bit, but I'm glad that I had those ultrasounds because um, I think a lot of other women at my practice didn't go in at all. Um, wow. So it was kind of crazy. Yes, yes, yes. So you gave birth in what month? I gave birth in June. Okay. So it was really just starting to crank up then. It was. And in June, the county that I live in had the highest COVID rates per capita in the United States. Okay. So it was very, very nerve wracking. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine. So then what did you do to prepare for your birth? Yeah. So I, um, I started working from home in March as well. Um, so I had a lot of time to listen to podcasts and do online, um, childbirth classes. I was doing prenatal yoga before COVID hit. So, and I really, really enjoyed that. So I was really bummed that that got canceled. So I tried to do it at home. Um, but it just wasn't the same, but I tried Mm. to do prenatal yoga. I walked a ton. I walked five to 10 miles a day just to, wow. Get out of the house. I have we have property, so I walked around and went out to the cows and did our farm chores and did all of that. But I would listen to um, childbirth classes while I was doing that. So I would listen to um, birth stories and informative podcasts, and that's where I really got a majority of um, my information. Gotcha, gotcha. So, what were some things that you wanted for your birth? Um, so I was pretty open to anything. I had placenta previa until about 35 weeks is when that finally moved. So I was kind of on track for a C-section for a majority of my uh, pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So, um, I really just was okay with anything. I knew that there was nothing I could do to change that. Um, so I researched C-sections like crazy. And then I also researched vaginal births like crazy. So I was really open to any type of birth that was coming to me. Um, And not just open, but prepared. Like you were ready. (laughs) I was ready. Yeah. And I just, I knew listening to so many birth story podcasts, I knew like, even if you have a plan, it could change. So, and I'm a planner. So that really freaked me out. So I wanted to know everything, anything possible that could happen. I wanted to be prepared for it. Um, So I found that stories were the best way to um, prepare, just listening to what other women had gone through um, and just being prepared for anything. I really didn't want to be induced um, because I heard so many um, horror stories about these terrible inductions and how long it took and turned into emergency C-sections. Um, but, uh, listening to more podcasts about it and listening to more perspectives, I came around to that idea as well. And that ended up being necessary because because you did ended up, end up being induced. Correct. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So tell us about that, your induction and your labor and how your birth went. Yeah. So at the end of my pregnancy, I was cleared to have a vaginal birth. Um, I started progressing pretty quickly at the end of my pregnancy. So around 37 weeks, I did start dilating, um, having some pretty strong, Strong contractions, but nothing actually came out of it. So I was walking a ton and doing everything I could. My doctor was convinced I would um, go into labor early on my own just because of the progress I was making. And I never did. So by my 39th, <laughs> of course, it was my first pregnancy. So, you know, or my first birth. So I um, 
that's normal to go over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Once she told me at around 37 weeks that I could go early, I was set. I had my bags in my car and I was like, this is it. I'm going <laughs> this week. <laughs> but it did not happen that way. Um, I made it to 39 weeks. Um, and at that appointment, I was already three centimeters dilated and 100% effaced. And I was ready to be done. Um, and I was measuring, my baby was measuring about 10 and a half pounds. So they thought she would be a very big baby. And my OB at that point said, you know, you're, you're so close. Um, I really think you're going to, go into labor on your own in the next couple days. But if not, let's just schedule an induction um, after your due date. And if you haven't had her by then, that's when you'll have her. Um, so I made it to my induction and I went in and all I needed was um, Pitocin to kickstart my labor and they broke my water and I was off to the races. Gotcha. Now, I <laughs> there are many OBs who would have said, we think your baby's 10 and a half pounds, you should get a C-section. Was there any discussion of that at all? No, my doctor, um, she was really cool about it. She uh, said, you know, she's measuring 10 and a half pounds, but we know from research and from experience that that doesn't mean she's going to be that large. Um, we, I would like for you to go into labor on your own. I really don't want to do a C-section on you unless we absolutely have to. So she was pretty confident that it would all work out. And it ended up working out just great. But I was nervous about delivering a 10 and a half pound baby. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And how much did she actually end up being? She was eight pounds, eight ounces. Okay. So ultrasound. And that's still respectable. That's okay. So that's like, <laughs> you can't fit a lot of newborn clothes in an eight pound yeah. baby, but not quite 10 pounds. It shows you how off ultrasound can be. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And I was a 10 pound baby and my husband was a 10 pound baby. So okay. we were we were pretty convinced she would be 10 pounds, but gotcha, uh, gotcha. Not, not too bad. <laughs> yeah. So the, the Pitocin, I mean, it wasn't very long and, um, did you get an epidural? I did. So I, um, I went in for my induction on a Sunday evening around six o'clock. They had to do the COVID test. So that slowed mm -hmm. things down. Um, I did the COVID test. It took about an hour to get those results back. And then, um, they started my Pitocin, broke my water pretty much immediately. And then, um, I got an epidural an hour or two later. Um, I, <sighs> contractions weren't as terrible as I was expecting. I really went into childbirth thinking this is going to be the worst and most painful experience of my entire life. And I am not going to be okay. And so <laughs> Kelsey, you were like, this is, <laughs> you were already like, I don't know about this. <laughs> yes. I, I just knew I was like, if it's better than that, then great. But I, I think it's going to be the worst thing I ever do. So I was super negative about going into it. <laughs> and then the contractions weren't that bad. They, right, uh, right. they were strong with the Pitocin, but they weren't the worst thing I've ever felt. They were, they were tough, but, um, by the time I couldn't breathe through them and cope through them, that's when I got the epidural. Um, I stayed around three centimeters dilated for, for a while, for a few hours. They had me on the peanut ball, which was very uncomfortable to rest with a big giant peanut ball between your legs. But yeah. um, I did that for a few hours. And then um, around four in the morning, I started, I just had a wave of nausea come over me and just severe, severe pressure down low. And I knew that I was in transition. I knew that this was it. Um, 
And it happened really quick. My doctor said when I came in and she broke my water, she's like, yeah, you'll have the baby by um, tomorrow or yeah, tomorrow night. So it usually takes about 24 hours, uh, blah, blah, blah. But at four in the morning, I, I knew that that was it. Um, so I, I called the nurse and I was vomiting. I was shaking really bad. Mm -hmm. I, um, I was like, I, I think this is it. I think it's time. And she checked me and I was 10 uh, centimeters dilated. So we were ready to go. Um, she had to call my doctor because it was four in the morning to <laughs> Uh, deliver my baby and she got me all set up uh, to deliver. She wanted me to do some practice pushes, but uh, the baby's head was already coming out. So she basically told me, don't push, keep her in. We have to wait for your doctor to get here. Um, so by the time my doctor got there, she ran in in her pajamas, scrubbed in, <laughs> and I had Arden in two pushes. So it was quick. Wow. 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 That is nice. That you had, well, I'm assuming it was nice. Some people get overwhelmed with that, but did it feel good that things went pretty quickly and smoothly? It did. I was anticipating again, the worst, but I anticipated to push for a really long time. And so the fact that it, I thought for sure that would be the hardest part. And the fact that it wasn't, um, was really, really nice. Um, when she was born, I was absolutely shocked that it was so quick. I kind of forgot about everything else going on in the room. She was beautiful and healthy and strong. And um, I just, I couldn't believe it. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wonderful. And I assume your husband was there with you. He was there with me. He was able to stay. Um, they only COVID tested me, but if, uh, as long as I was negative, he could stay as well. So gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, um, so then tell us what happened with the placenta. Yeah. So after Arden was born, you have to obviously deliver the placenta. Um, mm -hmm. and it was taking a really long time. Um, and I, I didn't know how long this usually took. Um, so I, I didn't know any different, but, um, uh, it came out, but it was, still attached to my uterine wall mm -hmm. um, in one spot. So my doctor had to, and I was hemorrhaging at this point because um, I don't know, I, I had second degree tear. It all happened so fast. I was losing a lot of blood. So they did give me quite a few shots um, and they upped my Pitocin, I believe too, at the same yep. time to, yeah. to help with that. So there was a lot going on as I have this beautiful baby that I'm trying to do skin to skin with. Right. Um, there's just a lot going on down there. Um, and she ended up needing to do an emergency DNC um, just right then and there as I was awake and holding my baby. So that was um, scary. And I honestly don't think I knew the extent of how um, how risky that was until after it was all done. I was still on cloud nine in disbelief that Arden was born and with me that I really didn't notice what else was going on. Gotcha. So did you have to go back to the operating room or was she able to get things out like right there at the bedside? She just did it all bedside. So I, I mm. stayed in the same room the entire time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It postpartum hemorrhage is, um, it can be really serious and mm -hmm. what happens it's like the placenta like normally when the placenta comes off the wall of the uterus and the uterus squeezes down and it contracts if it doesn't come all the way out it just interferes with that process and all this mm -hmm. blood flow is still going through the uterus so I'm glad that you were in the right hands and one of the areas where we get into trouble is not recognizing it and treating it seriously enough. So it sounds like you had a great OB who was on top of things. I did. It took a, a long time for that to happen. And then I had to do internal stitching um, and then external stitching as well. So that whole process took about 
three hours, I feel like, from the time she was born to the time that I was all stitched up and the room was cleaned up. It was it was quite the process, which I I didn't realize afterward that that wasn't normal. You know, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. So how did you feel about your birth experience overall? I was so happy with my birth experience. I couldn't have planned it better. It was a lot quicker than I thought it was would be. It was extremely empowering. I I worked so, so hard to um, make sure that I was physically fit to give birth and mentally ready to give birth. And so overall, um, even with the uh, placenta retention and everything, I was pretty happy with the entire experience. That's good. That is good. Now, in the postpartum period, you mentioned when you wrote in that you struggled with breastfeeding and then something called DMER that I had not heard of before, actually. So tell me about that. Yeah, so that's probably the the uh, roughest part about my birth experience was the postpartum period um, and directly after I gave birth to Arden. Um, because of COVID, the lactation consultants at the hospital had their hours cut. So mm. I really didn't have a lot of support um, with the lactation um, and breastfeeding afterward. The nurses were helpful, but they were like, oh, we're not experts. We would rather you talk to the lactation specialist, but they weren't there the day that she uh, was born. They were there the next day. So I had to wait pretty much an entire day to learn to breastfeed. Um, and so we lost a lot of that, um, that bonding time at the beginning. Gotcha. Uh, so that was really tough. Um, I ended up not really being able to breastfeed. Even when they came in, we tried the nipple shields and everything, and it just wasn't working for us. So I decided pretty much just out of desperation that I was going to pump. Um, and I was open to any of it. I really was open to breastfeeding, pumping, formula. I, I wanted to keep an open mind about um, whatever would work best. Um, and so I took the pumping route. Um 
my, I didn't realize that your milk, it took a few days for your milk to come in. So that was mm-hmm. Surprise for me. Um, but it did, and I was pumping, and I absolutely hated every single moment of pumping. I, um, when I would pump, I would get nauseous. So I was throwing up when I was pumping. I was so weak at the end of a session that I couldn't stand up. Um, I was having um, anxiety attacks every single time I would pump, and it got to the point where I I dreaded it all day. It was all I thought about all day, every day was dreading pumping and then pumping and dreading it while I was doing it. Oh my Um, gosh. Yeah. That is so hard. It was awful. And I had um, an extreme oversupply, which at the beginning I thought was a blessing because, oh sweet, I can freeze all this milk and be good and get ahead. But I ended up getting mastitis a couple weeks after I delivered. And that was awful to have mastitis and trying to pump and have a newborn. Um, so I had a really tough time with it and I just kept hearing, you know, keep going, you can do this, it'll get better. But it got to the point where I would pump and I would have such a severe anxiety attack while I was pumping, um, that I, I couldn't hold my baby or feed my baby because I was shaking so bad. Um, And so I ended up going to my six-week appointment. I got diagnosed with um, postpartum anxiety, and she recommended that I speak to a therapist, so I did. Um, We spoke through the pumping and how that was a big trigger for my anxiety, and then I heard of um, DMER, D-M-E-R, or dysmorphic milk ejection reflex. So it's basically something that the the letdown or the milk um, ejection triggers, I don't know what chemical it is that causes anxiety. Um, and so my therapist told me about this and then I heard about it on a few podcasts after I stopped pumping. So it's, it's rare, but it is something that women do suffer from. Sure. Um, and I, I just couldn't get over it. I mean, I just, I dreaded pumping so bad that it, it really hindered my entire feeding pro- or, um, process and my experience. And so I ended up stopping pumping around two to three months. It took me a while to wean off, but, um, I chose to stop doing that because I just sure. I didn't function with anything else. Oh my gosh. How did, I mean, oh, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you feel it's like, your supply was fine, but it was just the process was just like terrorizing your body and your mind. Exactly. Exactly. And I really do think, I mean, I had terrible postpartum anxiety. Um, and I really think a lot of it was surrounding the pumping experience for me because I noticed that when I stopped, I was seeing the therapist at this point virtually because of COVID, mm-hmm. um, I a maternal uh, therapist or a postpartum therapist afterwards. And I noticed when I stopped pumping, everything significantly improved. My mood improved, my anxiety improved. I felt a lot better. So it was definitely connected to that. Good, 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 good. Um, and have you, um, I hope, did you beat yourself up about it? I guess. Yes. I had a really, really hard time with the entire process. I went in telling myself it's okay to formula feed. It's okay to pump. It's okay to do whatever you need to do. And then when you're actually in that process, Mm -hmm. it's just so hard to, um, make that decision. And especially because my supply was so good, I felt like such a failure that I couldn't keep up with that. And I saw so many other women struggling to make any, um, any, 
type of uh, supply or anything. And here I am with an oversupply and I was stopping and I just felt so much guilt about that. Sure, sure. I can understand that. I mean, I hope you don't feel guilty. Now, I mean, you know what? Honestly, I feel we probably all carry a little bit of guilt. I mean, my kids are 11 and 13 and I had to use formula and I still feel <laughs> guilty to some degree, even though they're fine. Oh but, you know, at some point you have to realize, like, in order for your baby to be healthy, the mom has to be healthy. And you just had to do what you do, you know, do what you needed to do in order to, like, get yourself healthy. Definitely. And he, now that I'm six months postpartum, I, you know, I see my baby and she's thriving and she's uh, ahead on milestones and everything else. I'm like, why did I care so much? Why did I beat myself up so much? But you know, when you're in the moment, it's just, there's so much going on and you're sleep deprived. And I was, you know, just so nauseous and depleted and tired. I just, I, I felt like such a failure at being a mom and it was, it was just heartbreaking. And then not being able to have that support, um, with, you know, family and friends being able to come over and talk me through it. I just really sat in my feelings and that was really hard. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, then on top of that, when people are going to hear this and be like, how can there like possibly be anything else (laughs) that, that happened? But on top of that, you had to evacuate because of a wildfire. Yes. So that happened around um, two months postpartum. Arden was about two months old. Um, we live in Washington State, but not the rainy side of Washington. We live on the more deserty side of Washington State. And forest fires are pretty common in the summer around here. Um, but we've never had them near our house. Um, they're usually pretty far out of town. And, you know, you see them from a distance. And, um this summer they got very very close so we went away for um a camping trip um in august and we had our family's motorhome with us and we went away and then we came home and there's a lot of smoke around and we thought oh there's a wildfire somewhere but i'm not sure where it is and it ended up being on the other side of the hill behind our house um and so i was unpacking our motorhome and we were getting ready and then you just start seeing the the flames cresting over the hill straight down to our house. And it was absolutely terrifying. Um, There was ash falling everywhere. The sky went totally black. Um, And so we started slow. I mean, I was, I had a two month old at this time. So I was trying to, you know, do bath time and bedtime and do all this while my husband's frantically watering our yard and getting our cows situated and trying to get them out of here. And we're packing up our stuff. And it was just awful. It was like an out of body experience. Um, so we ended up getting the call that we needed to evacuate. Thank goodness we had that motorhome with us still and um, that we were borrowing from our, our family um so we ended up just packing everything back in there um our dogs and our daughter and all of her stuff her sound machine and her milk and everything and um we ended up just staying the night at my husband's work for the night just because it was far away and we could let our dogs out in the parking lot and we had family that offered but we just have so much going on um with like our dogs and the baby that we felt bad intruding on anybody else. So we stayed sure. in the motor home for another night. Um, we tried to get our, our cows out, but all the roads were blocked off. So we had to leave our cows and just kept the sprinklers on. And it was just, it was just awful. It was very, very stressful. 
Um, luckily, the next morning, they d- diverted it so it didn't get any closer to us, but it was about a mile away. So it did get very close. Oh, my gosh. So how long? I mean, could you go back the next morning or did you have to stay away longer? We were able to go back. I don't actually think we were allowed to go back the next morning, but we did go home um, because we could see um, that it was pretty far away and our road did get unblocked again. So we did go home Gotcha. the next day. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So 2020 was just a really big year for you. It was. There was a lot going on. I cannot wait to tell Arden what her first uh, year of life was like because yes. I I can't believe it. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. So looking back on things, is there anything that you wish you could have possibly known beforehand? I mean, you sound like you were already like pretty prepared. Is there anything that you looking back still wish you would have known? I don't think so. I just wish I would have given myself more grace, especially with the first loss. Um, I just, I didn't cope with that very well. I didn't know how to cope with it. And nobody really does. You know, when you go through um, a loss, you you don't know until you go through it, what it's going to be like. But um, I don't think I handled it as well as I could have. I wish I would have reached out for um, support earlier um, because it really has been so nice to talk to a therapist about it in hindsight now. Um, but I wish I would have reached out for help earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So would, would that be always asked, what is the one piece of advice that you would tell other women as they get ready for their birth? What, what would that be? I think my, my biggest piece of advice with this, especially since I am such a planner and I love to be in control so much of situations is you really, you need to be flexible um, with your pregnancy and your childbirth experience. And it's great to plan and it's great to have a plan in place. It definitely helps. Um, but you also need to be open to, you know, if things don't go as planned, um, how will you handle that? Um, because, you know, I there's no way I could have planned for what what happened, um, especially with the first pregnancy. And um, it's just about how you react to it and how you try to make the most out of the situation that you are dealt and um, how to move on and ask for support in those instances. 100%, 100%. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for coming on. If you don't know it, you are so incredibly strong. I mean, my goodness, you have endured a lot and you just like your voice, you just sound like you've come to a place where you're at so much more um, peace and have kind of like helped you've kind of, you sound like you persevered through a very difficult situation and then coming on and being able to talk about it. I just really appreciate it and admire you for your strength in doing so. Well, thank you so much. I'm so happy that I'm able to share my story. Um, when I was going through all of this, I I couldn't find any resources of um, women who terminated. So I felt so alone and like, oh, well, obviously people are either shamed, too ashamed about this or I'm the only one who's gone through it. So I, I'm hoping that my story, although difficult to share can help other women in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much. I so, so appreciate it. And you take care. Thank you. You as well. Didn't I tell you that that was going to be amazing? Wow, wow, wow. I am really grateful that Kelsey came on to share her story with us. 
Now, you know, after every episode where I have a guest on, I do something called Nicole's Notes, where I pull my top three or four takeaways from the conversation. There were so many points that I could pick from from this episode. It was actually hard to narrow it down. But here we go with Nicole's Notes from my conversation with Kelsey. Number one, most genetic conditions that occur during pregnancy are spontaneous. There are a few things like sickle cell anemia and cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy that can be inherited. But again, the vast majority of genetic conditions that pop up are spontaneous. It's common for people to say uh, that There was nothing in my family. I don't understand why that happened, but it's actually most likely the case that there isn't anything in your family. These things just pop up for reasons that we don't always understand. Now, the good news about that is that it's not likely to recur again. Now, that may not be helpful in the moment, but it can be reassuring that the next time around, whatever genetic condition affected the pregnancy, it's not likely to happen again. Number two, ending a pregnancy can be a very emotionally difficult and complicated situation. And this is why I will always say that the government should have little to no say in the decision for a woman to end a pregnancy. This is something that she can and should decide in consultation with her doctor. There's a lot of misinformation out there about terminating a pregnancy, like partial birth abortions up until the end of pregnancy. That really does not happen. And I will eventually do a podcast episode on abortion. It will be the same evidence-based presentation of information that I, that I always do, not persuading either way. I just want to present a factual representation of it. So stay tuned for that episode in the near future. Number three, I was really glad to see that her doctor did not push induction because the baby was suspected to be big. ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, recommends that in the absence of diabetes, we don't offer cesarean unless the baby's suspected weight is 11 pounds. Unfortunately, not all doctors adhere to that, but as you can see, some do. And I also appreciate that uh, her doctor in hospital took that postpartum bleeding very seriously. Postpartum bleeding is one of the leading causes of maternal mortality. So um, just kudos and shout out to her doctor for providing that great evidence-based care. And then two more quick things. I told y'all I had a lot of things from this episode. So two more quick things. It's perfectly okay if you want to be induced. Sometimes there can be some backlash against induction, but as long as you know what's involved, you know the risk or the benefits, what you're getting into, you can make a decision that works best for you. So don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty if you're even thinking about you want to be induced. And then the final thing, just a gentle reminder that fed is best. Kelsey had trouble with breastfeeding in a unique and way that I had never heard of. Um, I always called breastfeeding a labor of love. It's not always easy. So do your best. Do your best to take care of you. Take care of your baby. Remember that fed is best in the end. All right, so there you have it. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcast, uh, Google Play, Spotify. There's Amazon. Amazon has podcasts. You can listen to podcasts there as well. 
And I would really appreciate you leaving an honest review in Apple Podcasts in particular. It helps other women to find the show. And if you otherwise, if you're not like in the Apple universe, I am not in the Apple universe. I am team Google, team Android all the way. So if you are not in the Apple universe and you want to let me know about the podcast and shoot me a DM on Instagram, I'm on Instagram at Dr. Nicole Rankins. I always love to hear folks thoughts about the podcast or screenshot yourself listening to it and post it in your story and I'll and tag me in it at Dr. Nicole Rankins. I love to repost those in my own stories. And also don't forget about the birth preparation course, my signature online childbirth education class that ensures you're calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful birth. Check out all the details of the course at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. So that is it for this episode. Do come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Head to my website, drnicolerankins.com to get even more great information, including free downloadable resources on how to manage pain and labor and warning signs to look out for after birth. You'll also find information on my free online class on how to make a birth plan that works, as well as everything you need to know about my signature online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com and I will see you next week.